All right, so y'all know that we're doing a series called The Helper, right? You know that, correct? So we've been doing this since week seven. If this is, so if this is your very first time here, let me just catch you up real quick, okay? Here's, here's what we're doing. We took the first of the year, and we said we're going to study about the helper. And so I, I realized in the first service, I'm standing there, we're singing songs, I'm looking past Phil, I noticed that we have the helper hanging there. I mean, I knew that, but I just saw it and went, huh, we say the helper a lot, and if we're not careful, we won't say what we mean by the helper, and then people will be like, I saw the movie The Help, what? What are you talking about, right? It's got nothing with that. Um, the helper is in the, in the New Testament. That's, that's a great movie, by the way. In the New Testament, um, when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, the, the Greek word means helper. And so we're, we're, learn, we're learning about how does the Holy Spirit help us? What does he do? What, what, who is the Holy Spirit? We've talked about that. And so depending on where you are from, um, I am, I say all the time I'm a church mutt. I was raised Methodist. Um, I went to the Methodist church right like dialing from here for as long as I can remember until I was a junior in high school, at which point my parents took me from that church, which had the rockinest youth group in the city, and they moved me to the weird church, which had no youth group. Um, it was just me and my sisters. That was it. And that was no fun, right? Um, and that was the Pentecostal church. And then, then I went to college and I met Wendy, who was raised Baptist but was really more Presbyterian because the church she went to was Baptist, but they taught Presbyterian doctrine. And so, like, there's, that's our background, right? And God looked at me and her and said, this will be a lot of fun. We should get them hitched. And so he did. Like, he, he, we got married. And so, like, our background is, is just all over the map, okay? And maybe yours is just one background. Maybe one of the ones I just mentioned you can relate to. But for whatever reason, all of us in this room have such a different background that when I say the Holy Spirit, I know what I mean, right? But it might not be what you think I mean or what you think I should mean. It's just, it's crazy, right? So when we talk about the helper, we're just trying to get a feel for what exactly do we agree on? Do we see in Scripture, even if we don't like it, about the Holy Spirit? And what we learned early on is this, the Holy Spirit's God, Right? He's not Jesus' crazy uncle. He's God. So if he's God, we can't afford to stiff-arm God and say, well, I don't understand you, so I'll just kind of keep you back in the corner and bring you out for Easter and Christmas, right? So um, we've got to, we have to talk about the Holy Spirit because he's God. We we ask the question, is he he for us? Yes, he's our friend. We said, what what does he want to do? What does the Holy Spirit want to do in our world today? Not what do we think he wants to do through us. Do we want to swing on some chandeliers or, you know, bungee jump off this thing in, in the middle, which would be crazy fun? Um, what does he want to do? Well, here's what he wants to do. He wants to glorify Jesus. That's what the helper comes to do. He comes to glorify Jesus. Everything the Holy Spirit does is to point people to Jesus. We've learned this as we've gone through this series. And so there's no way that we could have more of the Holy Spirit and not see more of Jesus. It's not possible. He points us to Jesus. Then we talk about what does he want us to do? Well, he wants us to point people to Jesus, right? He wants people to see Jesus in us. And so he's always going to try to kind of, um, what's a nice way to say it, kill us, right? So that more people can see Jesus in us. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I get in the way of people seeing Jesus in me. Has that ever happened to you? Okay, so it's just me. Sometimes I want people to look at me and say, all I see is Jesus. But sometimes I think people would say, I want to see Jesus, but all I see is you, (laughs) right? So the Holy Spirit 
because he's our helper, he's our comforter, he's for us, he's always kind of chiseling away at us, isn't he? He's always kind of removing things out of my life so that more people can see Jesus and less people will see me. And the two things we talked about, the, the old wineskins that we talked about a couple weeks ago that he's got to get rid of in our lives, one is pride and two is our tongue. Now, the Bible says that pride is, it, it talks about being the chief of all sins. That's the one sin that got Satan in trouble, isn't it? Because Satan said, hmm, I think I'd like to be like God. And so pride caused his downfall. And he was so mad about that that he, he walked up to Eve in the garden. And, you know, this isn't like women are bad, men are good. Because if Adam had been there, he'd have been an idiot too, right? He walked up to Eve and said, hey, guess what? If you eat that fruit that God said not to eat, you'll be like God. So pride is always the thing that God wants, Satan wants to use to trip us up. So I don't know how you are with pride. Um, I probably have a lot more of it than I wish I had, right? And I probably have more than I'll admit that I have. So the Holy Spirit wants to deal with that. He wants to get rid of pride in our lives. And then James 3 says that our tongue, whether we like it or not, and I'm talking to people, if we're honest, you'll, you'll say this is true. The Bible says that in James 3, our tongue is set on fire by hell. That means that you don't always say what you want to say. And sometimes you say what you don't want to say, right? That means that the closer you get to Jesus, the more you do this a lot during the day. Oh, did I just say that? I meant to just think the cuss word, but it slipped out, right? Like we're reaching for words and pulling them back in, right? Because we realize no matter how much our heart's changing, man, this thing in our mouth is just wretched, isn't it? It's so hard to control. The Bible says it can't be controlled by men, but... The Holy Spirit comes to purify our tongue. That's kind of where we've gotten to, right? And so last week we said this. You know, you're hearing things that you're reading the book that we gave you and you're hearing terms and you're, you're hearing baptism in spirit and tongues and fullness of the spirit. We're, we're thinking about things that are very new to us. And if we're not careful, all we can think about right now is that, right? Um, how many of you wash dishes ever? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah. A lot of men here raising their hands. A lot of women smiling. I don't know what that's about, but whatever. In my house, here's what happens. We have a dishwasher, but ours doesn't work well, right? You have to wash the dishes before you put them in the dishwasher so that it'll be clean when they come out, which is stupid, right? So um, in our house, lots of times we actually wash dishes by hand. And what I've learned in all of our years of marriage is this. When Wendy washes dishes, she fills up the sink with water that will burn the flesh off your hand. When I wash dishes, I don't fill up the sink. I just run the water, and I'm pretty sure a guy can use cold water to whatever, you know, sanitize plates and all that stuff. So I'm a cold water washer, and she's a, I want Paul to put his hands in there so they can burn. It's crazy how hot it is. So when I put my hands in, in a hot sink water, when I put them in there, and, and for the first time, what is the first thing I'm thinking? Yeah. Like I'm, hot! Oh, it's so hot! What is wrong with my wife? Why does she want to kill me? Right? That's what I'm thinking. And, and after maybe a minute or two, depending on your pain tolerance and how many drugs you're on, um, but after a minute or two, you start to, your, your hands get used to it, and then you start to slow down and go, wait. I'm, I've got my hands in the sink water to do something. And they're in the sink water to what? Wash dishes. So sometimes we hear new terms, right? And there's nothing wrong with this, okay? But for some of us, depending on our background, and even like me, my background is fairly Pentecostal. I still 
tongues, right? Ah, weird stuff. And it's like all I can think about. And for the last two weeks, this is, I mean, we're focusing on some things that can make us hot. But what I want to happen, what will happen is this. If we just keep wrestling with God, right? We keep wrestling with some of these issues in community group with one another. What happens is we suddenly kind of realize, wait a second. The Holy Spirit's not about that. I'm here to do something. And what we're here to do is to reach the world with the gospel. And he gives us power to do that. It's just right now it's so new for a lot of us that that's all we can think about. And I'm cool with that. Just, uh, just know this. What you're doing is wrestling with God. And that's a good thing, right? Um, when I was in ninth grade in gym class, we had like, we take a couple weeks and work on each sport, right? So we did basketball, which I was, uh, no, I'm okay at, you know. I, and then we did flag football, and then we did, you know, wrestling. And wrestling as a ninth grader is awkward, right? Because you're touching a sweaty guy, and you're close, and there's a lot of... Um, <laughs> You're trying to, I'm, I'm like 90 pounds. I'm, I'm trying to lift people up and throw them over. And it's just, it's terrible, right? And at the, I did it for three minutes. I've wrestled for three minutes in my entire life. Three, three minutes. And I thought I was going to die. Wrestling's hard. You got to be in, I don't know if I'm talking to anybody in here that wrestled, but you got to be in shape to wrestle, and, which is why I don't wrestle, even with my kids, because they'll kill me. It's hard work to wrestle. So some of you this past week, um, you've wrestled, and I love that. I want you to know, as your pastor, I still wrestle with this stuff. We, we wrestle this stuff. We've got to. Here's what happens when we wrestle. Just, just jot these down. Colossians 4.12. Paul's writing, and he says this. There's a man named Epaphras. We don't use that name anymore, do we? Anybody here named Epaphras? Middle name, maybe? <laughs> That's why I go with E. Um, Epaphras, he says he wrestles in prayer he wrestled in prayer for the Colossians. And the result was that they had more maturity and they had more assurance of their salvation. It's a good thing. Jacob, in Genesis 32, the Bible talks about Jacob wrestling with God. And at the end of that wrestling match, God just kind of went, boop, and touched him in the hip, and then it was over, right? And it says that Jacob walked differently from that moment on. Let me tell you this. When you wrestle with God, if you honestly wrestle with God over any of these things, your walk will be different. People will look at you and say, there's, no, there's somebody that's wrestled with God. And that's a good thing, right? That's not a bad thing. Wrestling is a good thing. It helps us grow. It's a normal part of how we grow. Listen to this statement. Wrestling with God, about God, always makes us stronger in God. Always. Always. Wrestling with God, about God, always makes us stronger in God. Which means in our church, we're, we're a teaching church. We want to teach about what the Bible says. We don't want to teach to make you go, yes, sir, whatever you say, right? We want to teach it in a way that all of us are kind of, we're wrestling. We're asking questions. We're doing the hard work to make sure that we come to some kind of understanding. You wrestle with all kinds of things. Um, I've wrestled with daily devotions. Um, I'm sure y'all are perfect, and so every morning you read the Bible. I wrestle with that. I wrestle with um, family devotions, I wrestle with time management, right? That's not even a spiritual thing. I just wrestle with it. Like, God, where'd the time go, right? You wrestle, you, some of you wrestle with your boss. I mean, like, don't put on the crazy earpieces and wear the tights and go into your boss's office and say, let's go, right? But you wrestle, 
he says or she says, do this, and you wrestle with that. That's not a bad thing. Um, but I want us to do this. As we wrestle, I want to make sure we keep the end game in mind. Um, it's, the end game is not tongues. The end game is that God would be so full in our church. We'd be so full of power that we would proclaim the gospel, isn't it? That's what we want. We want to live boldly in victory over sin and proclaim boldly to others that the gospel can let them do that as well. That's the end game. Because what does the Holy Spirit come to do? Point people to Jesus, right? So before we even go into today, um, before we even start talking about the stuff for today, I, Friday night in community group, we were talking through all of this and just kind of wrestling again to the ground. Um, man, how do we talk about these gifts and not lose sight of why they're given, right? And Phil just kind of shared this thing that happened with him and Kata um, a couple weeks ago and I, I just said man that's that's perfect why don't you share that on Sunday just to kind of frame the context of why we're talking about this stuff so we don't see it get lost in the forest for all the trees right we don't want that to happen at all so come on Mr. Phil Woo-hoo. see how I conveniently placed that there for you this time it's even on good job hi did you want me to sit here in this chair? There's two chairs. I wasn't sure why I was here. No? Hey, uh, so Valentine's Day is over, right? You didn't miss it. So Kata, my daughter, she's four. She came home from school with two Valentines, anonymous Valentines that she made at school. So we never could figure out who they went to. Um, she never could really decide who these, who these two were going to go to. And they just kind of lay there on her little art easel for a couple weeks. And at one point, they even got thrown away. And when she realized that I had to literally open up a bag of trash and go in it and just pray there wasn't, like, chicken juice on it or something. So it wasn't. They were nice and clean. So they were just there for a couple weeks. And Thursday morning, she, we're getting ready for school. And um, she comes up to me with these Valentines in her hand. And she says, who's at your work? It's like, my bosses? What are their names? Miss Lois, Mr. Joe, these are for them. And they say, I love them and I'm praying for them. So I said, okay. She said, take these to them. And so then she, my little four-year-old, um, takes them by the hands and says, let's, let's pray for them before we leave. And so she leads me in this prayer for my bosses, who I'm not wrestling with. They're fantastic. We don't wrestle. They're wonderful. And, um, so she said, take these, take these to them. So she prays for Miss, uh, Miss Lois and Mr. Joe, and I went to work, and the first thing I did was went to them and said, here, this is for my daughter. She wants uh, you to have this, and she wants you to know that she uh, loves you, and she's praying for you. And um, so I just shared that story because, I, you know, I'm convinced that God just, just moved on her to pray for people that she's, she wouldn't even remember meeting. She has in the past, and, and she was just obedient to him uh, with that childlike faith, so... testimony ever, wasn't it? You should clap for him. You think you should clap for him. Um, were you in here, how many of you were here in December for the Like a Child series? Remember that? Um, I think what we're looking for here is to have that kind of faith, isn't it? Just that, okay, Kata didn't wrestle with the idea of giving Phil's boss a valentine. She just said, these are for them. Um, I think as adults, 
because we're smarter, we're slower, aren't we? And so we tend to wrestle with the idea of going all in and surrendering and totally obe- uh, being obedient. And, and I want you to hear from kids, man, that's what we want. I want us to be that, like a child. Um, I told the first service a couple, a couple trips back, we went to Columbia. On, before we left to go visit Wendy's parents, Sydney said to me, Hey, Dad, um, is Papa, when he dies, is he going to go to heaven? And I said, I, I don't know. And she said, will you ask him? Um, well, yeah, I'll, I'll ask him. Sorry, hold on, I'm going to turn his fan on. I'll, I'll ask him. And then, of course, I went down for the weekend, and the whole time I'm down there, I didn't ask him, right? I don't know how you would be um, if your daughter asked you to ask somebody in your family if they were going to go to heaven or hell when they died. But even as a pastor, it's like, how do I have that conversation? Go Gamecocks, and are you going to hell? Yeah, what do you do with that, right? So the, the weekend comes and it goes, and I never even asked him that question. And as we're leaving the house, we're in the car, we're backing the car up, Sydney looked at me and she said, hey, Dad, so what, what did Papa say? Oh, what do you do, right? I mean, we're backing out of the driveway, and there's Mama and Papa, and they're waving, you know, and we're waving back, and I just threw the car in park. And I just got out and ran up to him and said, this is going to sound weird, but I need to ask you a question because your granddaughter asked me before we ever left Albemarle to ask you this question. The point here is this. We don't really wrestle with tongues or baptisms. What we wrestle with is surrender, isn't it? That's what we wrestle with. I'm not making light of people that wrestle with topics. That's not bad. But what we wrestle with is surrender. And kids don't. They just do it, don't they? I mean, don't you just look at kids sometime and go, God, I just wish I could run naked through the house, right? No, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't. There's surrender and then there's lunacy, isn't there? Yeah. Um, so as we walk through this today, I want you to just think about surrender, okay? Um, I don't usually tell you the titles of messages, but today here's the title. Surrender is the how behind the what. It's the how behind the what. Because what happened was last week we started talking about gifts of the Spirit, don't we? And we said, look, there's public gifts of the Spirit, and we'll get to those in a few weeks. But then there's, this, there's private gifts. There's a private gift of a prayer language. And, and Corinthians is clear, like we should keep the private private and the public public. What I told you last week is when the private goes public, you end up with people of Walmart, right? That's what happens. It's like keep that stuff at home where it belongs, baby, right? Um, we got to keep these things separate. But what happens is we, we can become so focused on that that we, we, we tend to forget. So last week we talked about that and people start saying this week, okay, so like if that's legit, how do you do it? How? How do you do that if that's legit? And so I want to say to you right up front, if you came this morning expecting me to whip out like a, a whiteboard and just step by one, two, three, four, five, and say this, and hold your foot this way when you do it, and that's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen, because I don't think that's what we're supposed to do, okay? But I'm going to try to give you some general parameters, right, about, hey, what, what, if we know these things to be true, then it gives us freedom in there for God to move, okay? So here's the first one on your sheet. The gift is sought through surrender, and that's not what most of us want to hear. Most of us 
I'm not trying to be, Wendy says, you've got to be careful what you say. So y'all know me. I'm not trying to be, you know, I'm not trying to make it too light. I'm not trying to make fun. I'm just trying to speak in a way that we can understand, okay? What most of us want to hear is a recipe to make it happen. We'd like some starter sounds, if we could have that, please. That's what we, I mean, we wouldn't say it like that, but we think it like that. Like, just get me started. Just point me, just push me a little. Like, the first syllable, maybe, right? That's how we think. And, and that's not the recipe for this gift. The way to get this gift, you seek it through surrender. You've got to yield. And, and honestly, that's, that's God's way in every part of our lives. And if we're not willing to surrender, seeking any gift is pointless, right? At some point, surrender is what keeps us from kind of picking and choosing what we'll take and what we won't, right? Well, I'll take, I'll take that, and I definitely want that gift. And, oh, I want the gift of giving because that means I'm rich, right? No, it doesn't, but we'll just go with that, right? But I don't want that one, right? It's like, that. yes, 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 <laughs> never, right? And, and so surrender is what gets us past that, okay? You've got to be willing to surrender. Surrender is what allows us to experience this ever-increasing, another phrase that maybe you've not ever heard, fullness of the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I've, I know y'all probably don't go home and just read theologians for the fun of it, do you? Some of you may, but um, every now and then when I'm feeling exceptionally smart, which means I've had a couple cups of coffee, um, especially Jamaican me crazy, which is my favorite flavor right now, um, if I've had a couple cups of that, I, I'll whip out a theologian's book, right? Because I've got a pretty good shot at understanding a couple paragraphs before I have to close it again. So there's this theologian, his name is Wayne Grudem, and he's a great writer, um, really good thinker. Um, so I pulled his systematic theology out yesterday. Systematic theology sounds really smart, doesn't it? It's just these two big words for a really big book full of words that you don't understand. Um, but it talks about like, you know, there's God and there's Jesus and why is there the Holy Spirit? and Why do we have the Bible and how does he operate in the church? It's just like 1,400 some odd pages of that. I mean, Wayne Grudem's own son said to his dad, people will not read that. So why don't you let me help you whittle it all down into 20 chapters of a book about that thick and we'll sell that one. And so there's, there's Wayne Grudem's systematic theology and then there's Wayne Grudem's son's, you'll probably want to read this one instead, right? I mean, but it's important stuff. Wayne Grudem's very solid. And I loved what he said about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He said, when we think about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, typically you'll hear somebody say, think of a cup or a bottle. And when it's full... That's what you want. The problem with this is what? It can only be so full. And so then you get all kinds of debates and arguments. Well, when am I full? And when am I not full? And didn't I get full when I first accepted Jesus? And why do I have to get full again if I'm already full? Blah, blah, blah. And that's a really good argument discussion to have. It's a great conversation. But Wayne Grudem says it's all built around the wrong illustration. We're not like cups. We're like balloons. And a balloon is full of air, isn't it? Until you blow more in, and then it's fuller of air. <laughs> and then you blow more, and it's fuller of what it had before. And it just keeps having more and more. Think about a couple weeks ago, old and new wineskins. Isn't that why God talks about new wineskins? Because they're pliable, flexible. They can be stretched, and that's what God's doing to us. He's stretching us. I love that. Surrender is what allows us to have more of the fullness of the Spirit. So here's 
some things we need to surrender. The first one's obvious, sin. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. Sin is something we need to surrender if we're going to have the fullness of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter's just preached this incredible message, um, and he says this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, uh, chapter over, Acts 3.19. He says this, repent, Peter again, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now look, I get, like in those two instances, he's talking about salvation, right? Like repent of your sins and you can be saved. But the, it's, the principle is still true, isn't it? Repent and receive. Repent and receive. So we got to surrender our sin, right? I mean, Imagine, imagine this for a second. I know not everybody may agree that um, gambling is a sin, but let's just say that gambling is a sin for the fun of the argument. Imagine somebody going to um, a casino and asking God to bless them by helping them win the slots. What? Help me win the lottery and all the things I'm gambling for so that I can be even more generous with the gift of giving. Well, first of all, if you are a gambler, I do pray that you win. So you can tithe to the church. <laughs> kidding, kidding. Do you see the insanity of that? I mean, can we, do you want me to bring it even closer to home? Is that okay? A couple that says, yes, we're sexually immoral before our marriage, but we're really asking you to pray for us that God will bless our marriage. What? what? How, how can God bless you when you're not living according to what God said to do in order to be blessed? See, it's like, have you ever tried to blow up a balloon and you can't get it blown up? Have you ever done that? <laughs> like, you're just blowing and blowing and blowing and you're red in the face and you look silly. And it just, because something's wrong with the balloon, right? I mean, something's clogged somewhere. And so, like, you, you stretch it and you pull it and you it and nothing, right? Because you can't get something in there if there's a clog. Okay, that, that was not a gift of the Spirit. That was just me, right? Spitting. You gotta, you gotta surrender sin, okay? You got to. And that's a real touchy subject. People are like, don't call, what I, don't call sin what I like to do, but whatever, you know? I mean, whatever the Bible calls sin, we gotta make sure that's out of our lives. We gotta surrender sin. Second thing we gotta surrender is pride. We've talked about this to, to no end, so I'll, um, I won't go into a lot of detail there. Just jot down 2 Kings 5, 10 through 14. There was a man named Naaman. He was a big, big deal, a very powerful man. He had leprosy, which was not good. It meant body parts were falling off at various places. Um, and your, white, your skin was really white like ash. And so he wants to be healed. And the man of God said, hey, you want to be healed? Here's what you do. Go down and dip in the Jordan seven times. The Jordan was a filthy, nasty river. Um, I was trying to think of something in my life that would be even close to that. I took a team of teenagers to Guatemala one time, and so on our off day, the missionary asked one of the local pastors, like, they'd really love to go somewhere fun. And so the pastor's like, I'll take them to the public swimming pool, which in Guatemala is a bath, right? So, like, there's three pools. One's up here, and that's where all the people get naked, get in a scrub with soap. And then the water from that spills down into this pool, which is where they rinse, and the water from that spills down into this pool, which is where you go swim laps like you do at the Y. Who's in? Not me. Thank you so much. Um, I, that's nasty, right? 
It's nasty. And that's kind of what Naaman got here. And so Naaman refused to go to the Jordan. And so the people that hung out with Naaman said to him this, and I'm paraphrasing from the verses I just gave you. They said, look, if that man of God had asked you to do something great, you would have done it just like that. But because he asked you to do something that you deem not great, you refuse to do it. Suck it up, buttercup, and go dip in the Jordan. And he did seven times, and he came out clean. There's no way around it. We've got to surrender our pride just so God can move in our lives. Third thing we've got to surrender, and I want to make sure you hear me on this one, is our mind. Some of you are like, dude, I'm living with somebody that surrendered their mind a long time ago, right? 1 Corinthians 14, um, verses 14 and 15. Let me just read it to you real quick. It says this. Paul's writing. It says, For if I pray in a tongue, my, mind, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with my mind. I will sing with my Spirit. And I will also sing with my mind. So here's, what, here's what's going on here. I'm not saying we shouldn't learn. Um, I've got a master's degree. I've got an MDiv. I love to learn. I, read, I try to read a book a week. Um, I'm getting closer to that. I love to learn. But at the end of the day, if my need to understand holds God's will captive, then something's wrong. I've got to surrender that to God. I've got to say, and I love what Paul said here. Um, Paul is much smarter than I am. Um, I call him the real Paul, and I am the other Paul. So the real Paul says this. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Listen, a lot of us are going to get stuck right there. I don't understand what's happening. And if I don't understand it, I'm not going to do it. If I don't know, I won't go. And, and just hear what I'm saying, okay? Paul could have said, I'm out. But he didn't. He said, so what will I do? I'll pray in the Spirit, and I'll pray in my mind, in the understanding. See, at some point, I can't let my lack of knowledge hold God captive. My lack of understanding hold God captive. Surrender says, I'm all in. And this is probably the most critical step that we're all going to face. Not just in the area of the gifts of spirit or tongues. I mean, I know that's what we're talking about now. And it's like hot water. That's all we can think of. But forget that for a second. Just in our walk with Jesus. Isn't this the hardest step? Surrender every day to surrender to the will of God. God, whatever you, whatever you decide to do in my life, I'm okay with. That's the hardest part. So here's your big idea today. I want to make sure you get this. I want you to think about surrender. Surrender looks for a way in instead of looking for a way out. Um, and I, I'm, I'm a little bit, I've got some social anxiety. Um, I, get, I can get a little panic attacky at times. And so when I walk into a strange environment full of people that I do not know, my chest gets a little bit tight. Um, I can feel, like you ever have like the white stuff cloud the sides of your, like you could see it like a fog, right? I, I feel that. Um, my heart starts to beat fast. And you know what I start doing? Looking for the exit, right? I don't know if any of you are, maybe I've just shared way too much, which makes me very socially anxious now too. That's fantastic. I start looking for the exit. I just want to, I want to know how to get out, right? And, and I understand that. But surrender to God never looks for the out. It always looks for ways in. How can I surrender more? to God. Does that make sense?
So let's move on to number two. And, and here's why this number two is so important. Number one was forever long, wasn't it? You're like, he's sitting down. That was a really long point. We're never getting out of here. Two and three are much faster, okay? Um, if we surrender to God, if we surrender ourselves fully to him, it's easy to start thinking, wait, then what's going to happen? Like, remember last week? He grabbed me with his mind powers and shook me like a doll, right? We're so afraid, like, what's going to happen? And when I, was in, when I was in high school, when I was first hearing about this kind of stuff, like gifts of spirit, prayer language, I was convinced that I was going to walk down the high school hall at Albemarle Senior High School, and, and at some point, a force was going to slam me up against the locker. I was going to start shaking like that, right? And that's not how this works at all. When we surrender control, we're surrendering control to God. He's a good father. He doesn't act like that at, at all. He's not going to grab your tongue and that like to you. No, that's not what he does. Look what Paul said. We're already in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul's answer to, okay, my spirit's praying, but my mind has no idea what's going on. He says, so what will I do? Four times he says, I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with my mind. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with my mind. There is, there's a choice here that we have, isn't there? to say, I will. The way that we develop this gift is by being intentional. It's, it's developed through discipline. This gift is developed through discipline. And that's like every gift, isn't it? Aren't they all developed through discipline? We haven't talked about this public gift yet, but we will in a, in a few weeks, um, like words of wisdom and words of knowledge. It's when, have you, ever had a, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and while you're talking to them, like you just, you thought of some stuff, you said it to them, and they were like, how did you know that? Well, if you're faking it, you're like, the Spirit told me, but really you're like, I read it on Facebook. You put it on Facebook, right? <laughs> but I mean, like a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge is when you, like God allows you to know something about somebody that you could never have known, Right? And, and what I want you to know is that sometimes we have to be instructed in those kind of things. Instruction doesn't make the gift less authentic, right? If you came to me and said, this week I'm going to have a conversation with a really difficult coworker. I'm really nervous about it. I don't really know what to say. Will you pray with me? Here's what I would pray for you. I'd say, God, this week, will you help them in that conversation? Will you give them the words to say for the, the right words at the right time to this person? So that you can fix that situation and reconcile them to each other and to God. And then I would tell you this. We just prayed. So this week when you're talking to that really hard coworker, when it's really difficult, just really be paying attention to your mind. Like, what are you thinking as you're talking to them? What, what thoughts are coming to your mind? And just, man, just share that. You know, and, and it's amazing. Like, you know, <laughs> what if you, do, you just share with them what went through your mind? And suddenly you're like, you don't even know how to handle the reaction. I was at a youth camp one time. I was sharing. I was praying for this kid. And, and I, I was so new to all this stuff. I'm praying for him. And I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want to say that. Like, I don't know. And I just said, I think you need, I think like for your, I just keep thinking about your father. And it's like junior high kid went from like really tough kid to like snot and tears everywhere. Right? Father! It's like they'd had this huge fight. And they weren't reconciled before he came to camp. And it was just like, I kind of stepped back and went, you know, I'm not that good, right? There's no way. Here's, the th here's what I want you to get. If I, if I taught you, if I instructed you into how to operate in that gift, the moment that you're talking to your coworker and God gives you something and you tell it to them, 
Does it make it less authentic because I instructed you first? Sometimes what we do is we say this, well, if anybody teaches me how to do it, then it's not real. Well, if that's the case, then we can't use the Bible. Because the entire Bible is instruction to the church on how to serve Christ. You can't, you can't say it's not authentic because it was instructed. I want to make sure you hear me, okay? I have the gift of teaching. It's one reason why I'm sitting here doing this. I'm the only pastor in the history of pastoring that had to apologize for his first sermon. Because in my first sermon, I cussed out the church twice. So my pastor pulled me aside after it was over and he said, Paul, I think somewhere in there I see a gift of teaching. But I'm going to need you to get up next week and apologize for cussing out the church. And I'm going to try to help you learn how to be a better teacher. And, and he did. I, I so want to be good at teaching that it won't surprise you to know that if you looked at my podcast, it's full of great teachers, right? I love Andy Stanley. I, I love listening to Matt Chandler. With all that's gone on in Mark Driscoll's life, I love to listen to Mark Driscoll. I love to listen to really good teachers who just have this amazing ability, open up the Bible and say stuff about it, and I just go, that is amazing. So I listen to them. I'm around those guys. I love to hang out with pastors who like to teach. It's what we do. And it makes me a better teacher because of it. It doesn't make the gift I have less authentic because I develop it over time. You see what I'm saying? I think sometimes with this one gift, we just we want God to make it automatic. And it's developed over time. That's not a bad thing. That's the way the gift works. How... How does this happen? We, it requires that we intentionally listen. It requires that we wait. It requires that we believe. It requires that we speak. Now, what we won't do is, is pull you into a class and call it How to Pray in Tongues 101, right? What you want to do is think of all these really short words and say them really fast. No. I, 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 I told the first service my wife, who's not here today, I mean, she was here earlier, but she's not here now. She is the best example of, of total surrender to God of anybody I've ever met in my life or ever will meet. Because when she and I first got together, I told you our little church mutt story, right? So I'm like this wide open, on fire, Pentecostal dude that knows nothing about Scripture, but I sure can talk crazy, right? And I meet this fantastic Baptist girl who probably knew more about the Bible than I did in one hand. And she's talking to me about the gifts, and I'm talking to her about the gifts, and we're kind of going back and forth. You know, it's a big deal to wrestle with this stuff. Wrestling's not bad, right? And so eventually we get married. And, and when you're assumed as a God and you get hired as a youth pastor, typically the interview goes like this. So do you pray in tongues? Does your wife pray in tongues? Do your kids pray in tongues? Do your dogs pray in tongues? Right? Like, I mean, like all the way down. Like, are you on board with what we say? And I would go to every interview and I'd say, you know what? No. No. I, I mean, I've, I've got the gift, but my wife wants it. She's passionately seeking it. And if that's going to keep me from having this job, then I don't, I don't want to be here. But if you'll hire me, we'll give you everything we got. That was my every interview I went to. And you know what happened in every church I was in? And some churches were like the churches that maybe I don't want to be, right? We all have baggage. 
pastors would give invitations at the end of messages. It's always, it's, you're always good for three or four of these a year, right? We're like, if you want to get to the Spirit, come to the front, and we're going to get 20 people to mob you and spit on you while they pray, right? I mean, they don't say that part. <laughs> they just ask you to the altar, and then they mob you. And every time, who's the first person to the altar? The youth pastor's wife, who could have sat back and pretended to have what she didn't, who could have just said, I don't need that. I'm good. Who could have stiff-armed the gift, or at least the God who gives the gift. But instead, the youth pastor's wife, who should probably have everything to lose, would be the first one to go. That's surrender. That's hunger. That's passion. What I want you to know is this. My agenda in this series is not so everybody becomes this tongue-talking Pentecostal person. My, in my agenda is that we leave this series more open to God than we've ever been before. That we surrender more than we've ever surrendered before. Because if we do that, nothing else really matters, right? It, it, so much so that this gift that we're talking about, we talk about developing it with discipline. Um, Wendy never received that gift at church, ever. But one day, after four or five years of praying, I'm sitting at church and I get a phone call. And it's Wendy. And she says, uh, Paul? I was just outside hanging up the clothes on the um, clothesline, and I was just praying, and I got on my knees, and stuff was coming out of my mouth. Is that, is that tongues? I, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation like that. I'm a pastor. I think I'm supposed to know stuff, but what I said to her was, uh, I don't know. Here, why don't you hang up and try it again? <laughs> so she did. Five minutes later, she called back. Uh, it happened again. Okay, seems like that might be tongues, right? What we didn't do is this. Hey, Wendy, say this, do this. That's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. If this is real, and I believe that it is, then you don't need me to teach you. One of the, one of the great things about Pentecostal churches is, have you ever heard the, um, the expression, be slain in the spirit? Do you know what that is? That's when you come to the front and I hit you and you fall down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not fair. That's what I mean. That is when it's a very, and I think it's very genuine. When, when you get prayed for and the power of God just overcomes you and you can't stand up, right? Now, I, honestly, in, in the Bible, when that happens, they tend to fall face first on their face before God. Um, then we start falling backwards. I don't, I don't know what all that's about. But in a lot of Pentecostal churches, they'll have, they'll have ministry teams that are called catchers. And, and the reason they're there is because if you, if you fall backwards, they can catch you so that you don't get hurt. But when I read the Bible, I don't see catchers. I see people that fall on their face and don't get hurt because the power of God can protect them. So my thing is, if it's real, you won't get hurt. Why do we need catchers? And if it's not real and you're faking, you probably should get hurt. Right? Did I read that wrong? I think we've become really good fakers. And, it, and the fact that we fake it doesn't make the power of God less genuine. It makes us less genuine. And so my goal here, and it could be that I'm wrong, but I'm the pastor, so I mean, I guess we'll do what I do. But my goal is not to do that. It's to, I want, I so, we start, one of our core values is undeniable. Man, I so want an undeniable move of God. I want God to move in our church in such a way that skeptics can't deny it. And, and skeptics can deny a lot of what we've seen. Is that fair to say? 
And I want what can't be denied. And, and I'm committed to that. I will dig my heels in on that. People will say, why aren't you more Pentecostal? Man, I want to be as Pentecostal as you can be. I just want to be real. Right? We want to be authentic. Okay? And, and that doesn't mean we don't instruct, we don't pray for, we don't, you know, teach people how to develop gifts. These are all gifts that have to be developed. But, man, we don't want to fake it. Okay? So l- let's finish last number three. The gift comes through faith, not frustration. I think that's written wrong on your sheet. You can just correct it. The gift comes through faith, not frustration. Um, a lot of us, I think about Wendy again, have spent years seeking this gift. And, and if we're honest, it can really lead to frustration, can it? You're like, God, I mean, I keep asking. Like, I, I was, Wendy and I were talking about this last night. Just like, Wendy, how'd you, I mean, how'd you feel for four years? She's like, frustrated. Felt like, come on, God. I mean, I'm asking. You said you're a good God. You're going to give. I mean, I'm asking, like, when? Come on, God. And what I've realized, and our family has realized this over time, with all the stuff that we've, st- we've struggled with, you know, people that died in our family that we prayed for them to be healed, and just when things don't go like you want them to go, I'm convinced more than I ever had before that we don't struggle with the will of God. We struggle with the timing of God. Okay? And so this is one of those areas where we have to surrender that to God. We have to surrender that. So let me just give you a couple verses. You can just jot these down. I think they might be up on the screen. Um, just the kind of God that we serve, the kind of gifts, gifts that he gives. James 1.17 says this, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. This is the kind of God that we serve. He gives good, perfect gifts. 1 Corinthians 12.7 says that God gives gifts to help the whole body. So this week we're talking about, you know, tongues privately so God's not going to give a gift to just throw off the entire body and confuse the snot out of it right because this says that he gives gifts to encourage the body first Peter 4 10 says that God's gifts will enable us to serve others which means this you're in the you're in your prayer closet you're praying you're seeking God you're saying hey if this is for me and if you get that gift and you can pray in tongues better than anybody has ever prayed in tongues their whole life and you can't pick up something and serve shut up Because the gifts of God come to help us serve one another, not show off in front of one another. Matthew 7, 11. Jesus said this. If you being evil can give good gifts, how much more can your father? Let's just paraphrase this. If God could give a bad gift, and he can't, right? God can't give bad gifts. But if he could, his worst gift would be better than our best gift. That's how good our father is. We don't have to beg him for it. We don't have to strive, work, yell. Again, we don't need 40 people spitting on us to make it happen. We just surrender. Just surrender. That's all it takes. Let me read you two more verses in Hebrews, and then we'll, we'll close. I'm going to close this morning with the best story I've ever heard and then a chance for you to respond. Hebrews chapter 11. I want you just, as you're, as you're this week... You know, if you feel, man, I, God, we're talking about this gift, and I really feel a hunger and a stirring for it, and I, I'd, like to, I'd like to have this gift, then I want you to remember these two verses, okay? Hebrews eleven six says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's huge. 
as you're seeking a gift from a giver, you're seeking it from a giver who sees you and who wants you to see him and know that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 35. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. This was Wendy's verse for four years. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. My righteous one will live by faith. If he shrinks back, I will not be pleased by him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are being saved. I love that. I love that. I, I told Wendy this so many times. Being in God's presence your entire life, asking him for something and waiting for him to give it to you, if you died and never received it, what did you really lose? Nothing. Like you were with God your whole life, seeking him, waiting for him, like receiving him. You'll, if you're in a community group, I think you'll read this question. Um, to me, this is like Christmas presents, isn't it? Like how many parents have bought a Christmas gift for your kids and it was the perfect gift and you already had, you've already made the, in your head, you're like, I've got the video, I know I'm going to put the camera, I got the perfect angle, they're going to walk down, they're going to see it and it's just going to be amazing. And it would be a good gift in September, right? But you hid it in the closet because the best time was December 25th. That's God and his gifts. And I don't understand all that. But that's it. And it changes everything when we know that we're waiting for a gift from a God who's faithful to give. It's just about his timing. And as we're waiting, he wants us to never wonder if he sees us, if he knows what we're going through. He knows what you're going through. God would say the struggle is real, right? He knows that. He knows that. So how do we explore this gift how do we what does a believer do if he or she desires to seek this gift from God I believe this we surrender fully we develop it intentionally we believe confidently and we wait patiently for the perfect time for the perfect gift from a perfect God who sees us let me tell you this story that I read this week and then we'll close up the the service um This is a verified story. It's in Mark Batterson's book, Draw the Circle. It's a 40-day prayer journal. The best story I've ever heard in my life. I just want you to know that it's true because when I tell you, you're going to be like, there's no way that happened. But there's a man, his name was Ken Gobb. He was a a singer, songwriter. He'd been on on TV some um, back maybe like in the 70s and 80s. And he was with his family. And he was just going through this season in his life where he was like, God, do you even see me? Like, I've been, I've been serving you. I'm, I'm, I'm not, do you even know who I am, where I am? I mean, I just feel dry. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that or not. And some of you, if you're seeking these gifts, you might find yourself in that place. Now, God, do you even see where I'm at? And he says he's, he's on vacation with his family. They're driving down this interstate just in the middle of nowhere, and they got hungry. And so they decided, you know, we're going to pull over. We'll just go, we'll go grab a burger. We'll grab something to eat. So they park the car. He tells his, his wife, you take the kids inside. I'm just going to go stretch my legs. So he just needs some quiet time with God, right? And so he's walking around in the parking lot, and all of a sudden he hears this payphone start ringing. And the payphone is in the parking lot next to him. And it's ringing, and it's, ringing, and it's getting on his nerves. He's like, God, like somebody answered the phone. And he realizes nobody's going to answer it. Maybe it's an emergency. So he picks the phone up and he says, hello. And the voice on the other end of the line says, I have a long distance call for Ken Gobb. 
And he went, what? I said, I have a long-distance call for Ken Gobb. Is there a Ken Gobb there? He said, um, yeah, I, uh, what? I have a call for Ken Gobb. Is Ken Gobb there or not? And he said, well, I, I'm Ken Gobb. Just a moment while I connect you. And so he connects Ken Gobb with another female voice, and this is what she says to him. Hi, my name is, is Maddie. I'm from, I'm from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. This morning, I wrote a suicide note intending to kill myself. But I really don't want to kill myself. And I said to God, I remember seeing this man on TV. I think his name is Ken Gobb. And I have, I think if I could just talk to him, if I could just talk to him today, I don't think I would kill myself. But I, I have no way to get in touch with him. This is pre-Google. You can't just Google search him. And so I, I was just sitting here praying. And as I was praying, these numbers started coming to my mind. And so I wrote them down real quick on an envelope. And when I got done writing, I looked at those numbers. And I, and I said, God, how crazy would it be if, if that was Ken Gobb's phone number? And so I dialed it. And now I'm talking to you. Mr. Gobb, are, are you in your office right now? And he said, uh... No, ma'am, I'm in the middle of nowhere answering a random payphone. And he said, he talked to her. God gave him some words of wisdom, some insight. And she received Christ as her Savior. She didn't commit suicide. And he said he hung the phone up. He's just stunned. And he walked in, he sat down, and he looked at his wife, and he said this. You're not going to believe this, but God knows right where I am. Listen, yielding yourself fully to the Holy Spirit is not about tongues. It's not about gifts. It's about a surrendered heart that would allow God to do something like that. I hear stories like that, and I'm not content to read them and go, that's a great story. I read that and go, I want to answer that phone someday. And the only way that's going to happen is if I surrender my heart to God. And when we surrender fully to him, he can do that. Because there are people in our world, in our city, in our county, here in this service today, who need a phone to ring, who need somebody to pick it up and be there for them. There's a world that needs Jesus. He wants to use us to point them to him. And that comes from surrendering our hearts. Don't get stuck on the hot water of tongues right now i get it but as that starts to fade away remember this we're being filled with the power of the spirit so that we can boldly proclaim victory over sin and the gospel of jesus to a world that desperately needs him this morning we're going to close with a video Um, it's a song off the new bethel cd and i saw this video a couple weeks ago and just Man, wept. This is so where we are as a church. Um, it's a song called In Over, Our, In Over My Head. And I just want to give you the chance to respond. Apparently, it has Spanish subtitles. So if you want to sing along in Spanish, that's totally up to you. Um, but I, I want you just to, to respond this morning however you want to. You might want to get on your knees. You might want to come to the altar. You might want to just sit where you are with your eyes closed. I don't know. Um, but this will, be, this will be our finish today as we watch this video. And just allow God to draw you into even a more surrendered place with Him.
Let's just wrap up this morning like this with your eyes closed. If you feel God calling you just to surrender in a deeper way, I just want you to raise your hands to him. All the eyes are closed. It's just us and God. I'm not even looking. I'm, I'm surrendering myself. I just want to pray for you. God, that song just resonates with me. I'm full, but I'm not satisfied. Come do whatever you want to. And it speaks of surrender. It speaks of allowing you to take us to places, God, where you're developing things in us that are a little bit beyond our control. And, and I just say, God, take me there. I pray for those of us in this room whose hands are up. We're surrendering to you, God, not with an agenda, just as your kids, that this week in our prayer closets, as we get on our knees beside our beds, as we grab hands around the dinner table, as we pray while we walk, as we pray while we run, as we pray in our cars on the commute, on the way to work and back, as we pray in a cubicle, in a classroom, God, I pray that you would meet us there and that your presence would be more real to us this week than it has been in a long time. Just like the testimony that Catherine gave to start the whole service, that we would sense you pulling us back to where we were with you. And that we would find ourselves in way over our heads and okay with it because you hold us. Thank you, God, for what you're doing at the gathering, for what you're doing in this city and in this county. And we pray, God, that you would fill us more full with your spirit than we've ever been before. In your name, Jesus. Amen.